Welcome to the Employee Co. HR Podcast. I'm Rob Wilson. With me is my brother and partner, Scott. Hello. Jason Eisen, our Vice President of HR. Hi, everyone. And of course, Jackson, working the board, a.k.a. Nikki Navarro. This session, we've got a very special guest with us. Uh, little HR, little not HR, a little bit about golf, but with us is uh, very, our very special guest and golf ambassador, Amy Alcott. Thank you, Rob. Nice to be here. Such nice to be with everyone. And with uh, with Amy is also from our team, John Carr. Hello, everyone. How are you? Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this uh, for this session. So, Amy, it's great to have you in Chicago. Yeah, I love uh, meeting the team here and seeing what Employco is all about and uh, and learning more uh, every day. And uh, it's just really nice to be here. It's great to have you part of our team, and we. We met Amy through uh, through John and uh, started our golf program and became our golf ambassador. So we're very fortunate to have you uh, as part of the team as well as in uh, in Chicago with us today. So we're doing a little golf clinic and uh, later on this morning with with Amy for a few uh, few clients and some golf tips. And you know we can all use them. Even John can probably use some golf <laughs> tips as, as awesome as a golfer. <laughs> That's John. Like, it's hard for me to feel the force, not forced to feel sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to mess everybody up with that one. <laughs> yeah, people are always like, what did you say? So, I think it's one of the best thoughts in golf. We talked about it yesterday. Feel the force, don't force the feel. In golf, everything's become so technical, you got to get back to where it's simple. Yeah. And it's the next shot. Forget about the last one, right? Yep. Yeah, Just perfect. let it go. So, so Amy, yeah. tell us, how how did you, uh, as, as everyone knows, and if listeners don't know, so Amy, not only is she in the LPGA, Hall of Fame, but also the World Golf Hall of Fame. How, how did you get started in golf? Well, I was um, a child of television growing up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, and my parents didn't play golf, um, which people find kind of unusual. But they were athletic, and they used to watch the golf shows on TV during the time. I'm going to date myself, but a long time ago in the 60s, and there were shows on like Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, which took you all around the world with famous golfers playing. And I, uh, CBS Golf Classic and Big Three Golf, and I was just kind of mesmerized by the artistry of the sport. You know, I was like a little tomboy on the street and, you know, would play with the boys. And there was softball and football and tag football and everything. But, you know, I think I kind of sensed I was a kind of a loner, which, you know, I think we all have sides of us that are kind of like to be alone and like to be with people. But it really, gra I gravitated to the game by watching it as a solo sport and, you know, would see these golf swings. And I wanted to learn more about it. So I, my dad gave me a cutoff golf club about, you know, 15 inches long, chopped it off, put some black duct tape on it and I took what I, and a golf ball, and I started pushing balls into the sprinkler heads in the front yard, which affectionately became known in the neighborhood as the Alcott Golf and Country Club. Because <laughs> <laughs> Amy was a little business entrepreneur at the time. We dug a sand trap out. My dad would take me to go get more and more sand, and I'd chip out of the ivy, and I'd sink Campbell's soup cans into the front and putt for Put, put on it. Then we built a driving net in the backyard and it was a lot, you know, we had, um, um, it was, a, I it was developing this passion for this sport. And I don't know, that grew into playing junior golf tournaments. I met this amazing man named Walter Keller, 
who, funny enough, was from Chicago, uh, owned a golf driving range here somewhere in Chicago, and he moved his his everything he did out to um, California. He was one of the first people in golf discounting. So uh, discount a golf club, discount a golf shop. And that's where I took my six, first six lessons for 36 bucks. My mom bought me, and the rest is history. I learned how to play golf in front of a mirror in his golf shop. So anyway, I could ramble on and take up the whole podcast. Great story. But, but anyway. When was your first uh, professional tournament? My first pro tournament was right after I qualified for the tour in uh, February of 1975, and that was um, down in Florida. And then I ended up winning my third tournament. It was one of the fastest wins in pro golf, period, to turn pro at 18, and I won my third LPGA tournament on my 19th birthday at Pasadena Golf Club in St. Petersburg, Florida. So wow. um, it was a quick win, and, you know, I I wouldn't have turned pro. You know, I didn't have any scholarship opportunities. Uh, it was a little pre-Title IX. And uh, one, to go to Dartmouth and play on the men's golf team, but I didn't see myself there in the middle of February. You know, cool. and... Uh, and you were telling us before how uh, when you went pro that you had uh, you had to uh, you know, pay a certain amount of money and that, that you had uh, a number of people that helped you right. to to uh, as you turned pro to mm-hmm. to to survive that first year. Right, right. Well, that's how most professional athletes are. I don't know. You know, now we're in two thousand twenty-three. Uh, it's a big business and big money and. The, you know, people are getting paid even coll- in college now. I'm sure that mm. <laughs> it was a joke the other day that I'm sure there are some amateur golfers that have made more money <laughs> playing amateur golf than I made in my whole career. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, I started with kind of humble beginnings and Dean Martin was one of my sponsors. But, you know, it was a learning experience about golf and about business and and uh, for a young girl leaving home and with with the dream and passion of doing something I love for a living, that was how it all started. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. And yeah. as, uh, as John has told us the story about you jumping into the uh, into the lake after when you were the first one to to jump into mm-hmm. the uh, yeah. to the to the water, that iconic jump at the Mission Hills Country Club. Probably becoming the most recognizable moment in women's golf. Yeah, sadly, the tournament has now moved as of last year, and um, um, you know there are great these great visionaries in golf, and what created that golf tournament, which was originally called the Colgate Dinosaur, brought a corporation together and um, an amazing hostess Dinosaur. And they were way ahead of the curve in marketing and promoting women's golf back in the late 60s. And I got to play my first one my first year on the tour, as I said earlier, 1975. And it was an event in Palm Springs. It was one of the biggest events in women's golf. It uh, became a major. And um, it became known as the Craft Nabisco. And that's what I won the event as. And... You dream of winning, you know, it might be something you think about, but it's all part of the journey. 
you know, you can't make anything happen. It's just you got to pay your dues and put yourself in the right position. And, and uh, you know, you learn more from your failures than you do. Uh, that's what I tell young people today. You know, it's all part of the growth thing. But anyway, I jumped in the water with my caddy when I won. It was my second major, 1988, and created this iconic jump. And, you know, I think a lot of young women today and men, you know, in pro golf need to embrace their stardom and show some personality. But I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. (laughs) But I jumped in the water and then a couple years later jumped in with Dinah Shore took her in and, and, um, you know, it was just a matter, all a matter of circumstances. So is she happy to jump in the water with you? She wanted to jump in the water with me, you know, and, uh, that's kind of the karma of the whole thing is that my mother had died in 1990, uh, who was not a golfer who, um, we, we were so close. We used to finish each other's sentences almost. And so Diana Shore knew how close I was to my mom, and she said to me, if you can win your this, my tournament one more time, I really want to go in the water with you. And I tell this sometimes when I speak, you know, I don't know sometimes in life how, you know, the stars kind of align with certain things. You look at in, within my sport, some people play their greatest golf after tragedy, or personal loss, Ben Crenshaw winning the Masters after Harvey Penick died. Um, um, I went out and I won the tournament she was talking about. I won by nine strokes. Wow. I feel like the golf gods were shining brightly on me. And so I went out and won, and my caddy, Bill Curry, uh, who I jumped in with, her, and Dinah Shore, we all jumped in the water that was the last tournament I won on the LPGA Tour, <clears throat> 1991. And, um, you know, I didn't know it was going to be my kind of last, but uh, I also don't think anybody should ever retire either. So <laughs> I haven't retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you as our, uh, as our golf ambassador. As, as John joined us last year on our, uh, on our sales team, also being a former golf professional that, uh, and looking at the at, at the golf vertical, so it's been great to have uh, you as part of our uh, uh, part of our team. And when I was yes. lucky enough to come to work for Employco, one of the first things I thought of was to bring Amy on because of her network. And it's kind of a very advantageous thing for us to to move forward with the golf vertical because it's been untouched. And with your connections and what we're looking to do, I mean, it's a really really nice fit. And I think, unfortunately, the golf course industry isn't really familiar with companies like Employco and how we can help them. And really save them a lot of time and money. Right. And right. we're starting to go on that journey now. And I think right. as more clubs and um, even golf organizations that own a whole bunch of different golf courses realize who we are and what we can do for them, I think the the opportunity is going to just keep growing for us in the next couple of years. Absolutely. And you're great for us because your network is really solid and you're able to give us an avenue to success, you know, within the industry. So Employee Co., I think, is going to be the spearheading the golf industry and the HR outsourcing world in the next couple of years. Great. That's our, that's our plan. And Jason's ready to, uh, with our HR team to, well, you help such a wide variety of kind of, I mean, any industry, I mean, especially probably golf, just unlike, or not dissimilar than any other industry that we've employed companies have problems with 
retention or motivating employees or what to do about FMLA or should I do an employee engagement survey or uh, what kind of employee benefits should I offer? Is that's, I mean, we're, we're here to help, but we're, we're looking forward to all these new opportunities uh, wherever, we can, wherever we can lend a hand. And on that note, unique in golf too, where it's, you know, sometimes they're seasonal out in the desert in Arizona and some of the southern states where it's too hot in the summer, they lay off their employees. They have a lot of compliance issues that they don't know how to deal with, and that's where we can help them. And then conversely, in the Northeast, when they're gone for the winter, same thing. So I think it's a great opportunity for clubs to come on board with someone like us who can really help manage all that stuff for them and take a lot of headaches off their plate. And and as the government cracks down on 1099s, we have the ability to bring them on as full employees, do their payroll, offer them health insurance. So it's a really simple path. Excellent. And that's something that uh, a couple things that that we're seeing a lot of is there's, there's definitely a big crack down on 1099 employees, IRS looking at, because they're really looking at tax revenue. So looking at 1099 and saying, are you are you an employee? Are you being told what to wear, what to do, what, when to do it? Are you given work supplies? And uh, so we've been helping a lot of clients with the with those issues. But it's something that if you do have 1099 employees or 1099 contractors, you should take a take look at. Actually, Jason and uh, his team they're just uh, releasing a survey this week that's going out to all of our clients. And you know, and if you if you own a uh, a business or run a business and are interested in taking part of the survey, Jason's at hr at employco.com. But you know, we're looking the survey to find out as most people have gone, most businesses are are back in the office. But uh, looking at you know, are you, are you in the office full time? Are you are you working from home at all? Hybrid. Are you hybrid? And in what level? As uh, you know, as President Biden had just uh, released in his cabinet in the last week or so, they're pushing to get government employees back to work. So, but uh, so we've you're, uh, we do a survey a couple times a year. So Jason's uh, just uh, spearheading that in the next next week or so. So if you're if you're interested in taking part of it, uh, it's hr@employco.com. But uh, back to golf. What's your favorite golf course that you think you've ever played? <laughs> what a loaded question. All right. So, I, and the people, they, they, they ask me, what's your favorite band or what's your favorite song? Like I can't give one. So uh-huh. how about top three or four? So well, I think one. sometimes the most, the best courses are the most memorable or not necessarily they're the most famous, you know, I've played uh, golf courses that I thought, wow, this is kind of a hidden gem. And might be fifty bucks to play, mm. and not five hundred thousand to be a member. You know, it's um, so that's a tough one. I think it depends on the part of the country. Uh, I played uh, just jumps into my mind a uh, course in Hilton Head called Long Cove Club, mm-hmm. which is one of Pete Dye's oldest and best. That I really enjoyed it because it was like playing in different parts you know you start off and you're like in the low country and then you go out into this forest and then you come out up more on the in a green belt and then you so you're in like a couple of different countries and I I really enjoyed that experience um you know I live in Los Angeles and I'm a member at the Riviera Country Club which is you know long heralded as one of the great classic courses with lots of history and it's still one of my favorites. You know, I we could play that one um, every day. Um, you know, I love lots of courses. I like Spyglass Hill. I like Pebble Beach, but I love Spyglass Hill uh, up in the Monterey, Pebble sure. Beach area. You know, I don't think it gets enough, you know, kudos. Um, 
Everybody talks about Pebble, but I, I like Spyglass. Um, you know, uh, you've got so here up in Chicago, my God, it's just like a plethora of golf up here. Um, you know, and I've played some great ones up this way. So, right. um, yeah. Are there any courses that you still want to play that you haven't played? Or oh, bucket the, list? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's, uh, you know, I played some of the courses that would be anybody's bucket list. And as great as they are and as much as, you know, they wouldn't be at my top, for mm-hmm. example. Sometimes it's some, like, you know, obscure course. You know, Wingfoot up in New York is a fabulous golf course. I mean, New York has so many uh, great courses, but um, yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, I haven't, I traveled so much out of the country. I mean, there's courses, I made 40 trips to Japan, okay, in about 20 years. And because golf was really growing there and um, at the, you know, there's driving ranges and they broker you know, I don't know if they still do. I haven't been there in a few years, but they used to broker memberships to country clubs on like a stock exchange. Oh, wow. And they're all outside of the city, and it's a train and a bus and a car, and it's a whole day experience. But, I mean, I can't pronounce half the names of them, but, you know, some holes you're hitting over rice paddies. I mean, they're all, they were all built with a lot of dynamite, but... I mean, there, these are, there are golf courses that are, you know, that I played that are very memorable, you know, and winning over there was very exciting as well um, in a foreign country. So, you know, a lot, as I said, a lot of them you'd never know about, you'd never oh, yeah. hear about. Right. One of the, uh, uh, one of our partners in the, uh, that our zone coach, Jim Fannin, he was coaching a, uh, a U.S. player that was playing in, uh, going off to to play in a Japanese tournament, and he had said, as they, you know, Jim works on the mental, the the zone aspect of the of uh, in the golf side, and he said that sound of the cup when the ball drops in the cup in Japan, it's a different type of cup than mm-hmm. here. It's more tin. Yeah, it's tinny. They put a little thing in there, and it goes ding ding ding. Yeah, it makes this little sound. Coach him from a from a being in the zone. It was trying to mentally hear a different uh, well, the the tin cup sound. Yeah, most of the courses there have two sets of greens. One is called Korai grass, which is more kind of like a Brillo pad, <laughs> you know, um, and then uh, more like a bent type of grass. So most clubs have two different kinds of greens. For Korai, you can't get it quite as fast. And, but, uh, you know, they, their courses are just groomed to the 10th degree and beautiful. So you've got... You've With got, women uh, caddies and yeah, right? little automated golf carts taking your clubs <laughs> up the hill. I in, in Thailand uh, a few years ago with, uh-huh. with my family and the, all, the, all of the caddies were women. But, uh-huh. So, John, unfortunately, we only work. John's already thinking, okay, so I want to go cocker golf in Japan. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, right now, we only work in all 50 states. That's Puerto Rico. That's Puerto Rico. So, not in Japan yet. And kind of following up with that, you've gotten involved in, with Gil Hans, especially with the Olympic course a couple of years ago and stuff, and involved in the golf course design business as well, and are pretty proactive with that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've always loved golf course design and, 
you know, I charted out holes that I played at Manila Golf Club when I played in the Philippines or Beaconsfield in Montreal or holes that I thought were really neat and beautiful, not knowing that, you know, wanting to kind of get more involved as a consultant and do design. So I had the nice opportunity to, I thought if golf was going to the Olympics, it should be designed by a male-female team. I mean, it's always been kind of a male-dominated profession, um, you know, and but amazing. I mean, amazing in this country and around the world, historically, the great golf courses. So um, I just figured I'd kind of try to inch my way into it, even though I was a tour player all those years. And um, so I kind of took the idea forward and ended up teaming uh with Gil Hans to do the 2016 Olympic course in Rio. And that was a one hell of a project mm -hmm. to get that done in a country that's soccer crazy and, and that the Olympics were actually going to come to Rio and get that golf course done was, but uh, I learned a lot. Uh, no question. I mean, it was another phase of, you know, of the journey. And uh, I really love design. I like the idea of creating great golf holes and stuff. So I hope to do more of that. Yeah. And I think coming from your perspective, it's probably going to be a pretty good one too. Well, Keep it classy, right? <laughs> Keep it clean. <laughs> Another John saying, Keep it classy. That's right. <laughs> well, I know we've gone a, a little bit longer than we normally do, but it's a special treat having Amy in the studio yeah. today. So I uh, wanted to thank you for uh, being part of our podcast and being our golf ambassador and being thank part of our team. So it's great having you as part of, uh, thank part you, of the Boyco team. Thank you so, very much. It's such an honor. Absolutely. That, um, and John, thanks for thank joining you. us. Oh, my so, pleasure. Uh, we really appreciate everyone listening. F uh, feel free to reach out uh, if you have any HR questions or uh, tips, ideas, ideas for future podcasts. Uh, Jason's at HR at com. We'd love to hear from you. Right. Jackson, thanks for working the board. At least that's what they're calling them this week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll uh, see you next month. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.